Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. We're just going to dip away from the House of Commons briefly to bring you some news that we are getting uh, from Buckingham Palace. A statement about the Queen. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Sarah Chapalak. Yesterday, Queen Elizabeth II died. She was 96 years old. Her death is a moment of enormous grief for the people of the United Kingdom. Irish Times London editor Dennis Staunton joins me this morning. Dennis, this is something many people in Great Britain and Northern Ireland have been dreading. The loss of a head of state who has been around as long as most people can remember and is also the longest reigning monarch in British history. People started to get an inkling that something was happening at midday yesterday. What happened throughout the day in the hours before we learned that Queen Elizabeth had died? Well, the first inkling we really had was in the House of Commons when Liz Truss was making a statement at the start of a debate about capping energy bills. It was the first big policy announcement, really, since she became Prime Minister on Tuesday. I promised I would deal with the soaring energy prices. While this was going on, suddenly another minister came in and handed her a note and started whispering to her. And then the Speaker of the House was getting notes and Keir Starmer, the Labour leader, was getting a note. And there was all this rather grave whispering. And eventually the Speaker said that the palace had been in touch to say that the Queen's doctors had become concerned about her health. I know I speak on behalf of the entire House when I say that we send our best wishes to Her Majesty the Queen, and that she and the royal family are in our thoughts and prayers at this moment. And this was the first announcement. It's highly unusual to get any bulletin about the Queen's health. A couple of years ago, she went into hospital and we didn't hear about it until afterwards. And so it was an indication that something serious was up. And then you heard that the royal family, members of the royal family, were starting to head to Balmoral, the castle in Scotland where she was. That's the plane carrying members of the royal household who are making their way as quickly as they can to Balmoral, where the Queen is being um, cared for. She's under medical supervision. While this was happening, the all-day coverage kicked off. What, What could they say at that point when we knew so little? They were repeating really what uh, the palace had been saying about the Queen's health. Uh, Everybody realised that this was a sign that things were, you know, drawing to their close, as it were. I think the mood, as we've been saying, Hugh, the mood is sombre. The concern is deep. 
And then they were really recalling uh, over and over because they had to fill hours of coverage. They were recalling uh, the highlights of the Queen's 70-year reign and what she meant to people. Buckingham Palace itself, we can see some people gathering there. And it wasn't really clear what time any announcement was going to come. Yeah, because rumours did start to do the rounds in the late afternoon that something was going to be said around six o'clock. How was the official announcement made? So the official announcement was made on Twitter and uh, it was the royal family tweeted it out and uh, said that the uh, Queen had died in Bal- at Balmoral Castle and the, uh, referred to Charles as the King and said the King and the Queen consort, who's Camilla, will remain at Balmoral uh, before travelling back to London. And so it was a very short uh, message and then uh, they did what they do in the uh, traditional ceremony, which was that they put a notice uh, on a, a little kind of easel in front of the gates of Buckingham Palace. And then uh, what you saw was, for example, on the BBC, the coverage changed and they went into uh, a plan. A few moments ago, Buckingham Palace announced the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. The BBC had, for many years, had a seven-stage plan of exactly what they were going to do, where you would see all of the channels merge. And so this plan then uh, got into action and uh, Liz Truss went out into Downing Street and she made a statement as well. We are all devastated by the news that we have just heard from Balmoral. What we discovered later was that Liz Truss got the news two hours before the official announcement, so she heard at 4.30, the rest of us heard at 6.30. Queen Elizabeth II was the rock on which modern Britain was built. What happens logistically in the next few days regarding the funeral, but also uh, Charles' accession as king? So Charles became king the moment that the queen died. And so from then on, uh, she, uh, you'll notice in public announcements, is not referred to as the queen, but is referred to as Queen Elizabeth II, and he's referred to, the, to as the king. He took the name King Charles III. That was something that we uh, hadn't been sure was going to happen. But uh, Liz Truss referred to him in her statement as King Charles III, and, and so that uh, confirmed that that indeed was going to be his title. On Friday morning, uh, the so-called Accession Council, which is the Privy Council uh, plus a few others, the Privy Council is about 670 uh, current and former senior politicians. Everybody who used to be a prime minister is in it, various other senior politicians, leaders of opposition parties. And they all gather at St. James's Palace along with some of the leading bishops of the Church of England and various other heraldic figures. And they then proclaim Charles to be the king. They have a herald who announces this outside St. James's Palace and then also in the City of London at the Royal Exchange. And so that's the kind of ceremonial part. And then you have uh, the military doing various uh, salutes, gun salutes in Hyde Park, in other parks around the country. Church bells are tolling in, uh, in Church of England, churches across England. And you'll uh, have then at around noon, the House of Commons will start tributes. And so MPs will start to pay tribute to the Queen, Queen Elizabeth, and they will, those tributes will then carry on on Saturday. So you have kind of a whole day of them on Friday and then on Saturday. And then uh, King Charles will come down from uh, Scotland to London. He will meet Liz Truss, his first meeting with her as uh, Prime Minister. And then uh, at six o'clock in the evening, he'll make a televised address to the nation. And that'll be a very important moment in terms of him establishing himself as the king. 
No doubt there will be plenty of talk in the coming days and weeks about uh, Queen Elizabeth II's legacy. Uh, We don't need to get into all of that here. But what about her legacy here in Ireland? In 2011, she became the first British monarch to visit the Republic since independence. Many in this country will will remember her cupola fuckle in Dublin Castle during that visit. Together, we have much to celebrate. The ties between our people... The shared values. And then one year later, she shook hands with the then Deputy First Minister of Northern Ireland, Martin McGuinness, in a move that was hailed as momentous and historical for British-Irish relations. Dennis, was there something about the late Queen's personality and approach that made these encounters acceptable and celebrated even on this side of the Irish Sea? I think there was something both about her personality, but particularly actually the decisions that she made with regard to that visit in 2011. The reason that visit was a success was because of the way it was structured, because of the things she did. And some of those things were going to be quite difficult. You remember that Lord Mountbatten uh, had been killed by the IRA in 1979 and you had various members of her family, people that she knew, the people she was associated with in the armed forces had suffered during the Troubles. And so uh, the gestures that she made were, uh, they required a certain amount of generosity in a sense, in a personal way, but also a kind of a sense of duty that these were kind of big gestures. And so if you remember that visit, it began with the difficult stuff of her going to the Garden of Remembrance and paying tribute to the rebel leaders who uh, ended British rule in Ireland. And then she went to Dublin Castle, she spoke a few words of Irish, and she also made this speech where she spoke about the relationship and about um, the fact that it had been a a complicated and painful relationship. And then it was only in the later stages that you got to the more relaxed sections where she went to see the horses and where it ended up in Cork with this very memorable moment in the English market in Cork. And so I think that it was partly the fact that she knew how to do this kind of thing, that she, um, you know, that, that she was, uh, she was good at understanding the importance of symbolism. And also though, in a way that, uh, she agreed to do the things that her, uh, you know, that she was asked to do, uh, and that, and that she did them with very good grace. And I remember being at the convention center when, uh, she appeared because uh, what had happened, the way these diplomatic things go, is that the Irish government had a reception at Dublin Castle, which is when she uh, spoke the Cupola Fuckle, and then uh, the British side, they had a kind of a, a return reception, and that was in the convention centre in Dublin. Mm-hmm. And when she came onto the stage, there was applause, and I think everybody remembers who was there, just how she seemed to be quite surprised and uh, and relieved and you know to discover that actually there was despite everything that had happened in our history that there was a certain warm feeling for her and there was an appreciation i think just of the steps that she had taken to uh, to help to promote peace in ireland the queen died peacefully at balmoral this afternoon the king that is charles uh, and the queen consort will remain at balmoral this evening Watching the BBC yesterday on Thursday when her death was announced, uh, BBC presenter Hugh Edwards immediately referred to the King, meaning, of course, the man until yesterday we all knew as Prince Charles. 
It must have been a strange moment for British people to hear that, that sudden jump of decades of the Queen to the King. It was a huge jump because there's almost nobody alive in Britain today who remembers anybody other than the Queen being on the throne. You'd have to be really very, very old to remember anyone anyone else. Queen Elizabeth was a, such a constant feature. And Charles has been waiting for this for such a very long time. He's already in his 70s. Uh, so I think it probably will take a certain amount of adjustment uh, for people to get used to the idea. And so I think that these next few days are going to be quite important in terms of how that adjustment goes in terms of the public imagination. You've written, Dennis, that Quote, Charles cannot be a monarch in the mould of his mother because his subjects perceive him as irredeemably human, like them, with similar weaknesses and vanities. Close quote. There was also a feeling, wasn't there, that her virtue compensated for the failings of some other royals, most notably Prince Andrew, but also King Charles and others. Her loss to the institution of the monarchy itself, it's, it's hard to overstate. Yes. I mean, I think the it, what's interesting in a way in the way that she's been perceived, I mean, there have been ups and downs. If you remember after Princess Diana died, the Queen was on the wrong side of the public mood and there was quite a lot of anger about her. And she had to, she was obliged to make a televised broadcast. She was obliged really to show more emotion than she wanted to show. And one of the uh, interesting features of the whole Harry and Meghan drama is that Essentially, part of the story that Harry and Meghan are telling about the royal family is that this dysfunctionality has been passed along through the generations so that his father was unable to show him the love that uh, Harry, the love that he ought to have been able to or give him the kind of protective environment that he should have because he himself had not received it. And so in that sense, there's an implied criticism of the Queen, even though uh, Harry has always uh, spoken very affectionately of her. So that you, that, that the British public obviously decided, uh, you know, quite a long time ago, for the most part, to forgive the Queen for what they did perceive, I think many of them, as being her personal failures in terms of the way she brought up her children. Uh, but at the same time, they felt that she kind of, you know, bore the trouble of having uh, troubled children quite well. And then, of course, as people got older, they became more familiar with the idea of your children turning out wrong. And so they, uh, you know, so it struck a kind of a chord. I think that where Charles is concerned, everybody has watched his personal drama up close. They watched him emerging as a kind of a tortured figure as a young man and his various uh, enthusiasms to do with architecture and the environment, unconventional medicines, homeopathy and that kind of thing. And they then obviously watched the drama of his marriage to Diana and then also his marriage to Camilla. And so people feel as if they know him more intimately than they actually do. And consequently they feel as if they know uh, all of his weaknesses. And so I think just because the Queen had been on the throne since she was 25 and because everybody knew her uh, as a, such a familiar figure uh, that, uh, you know, nobody who was going to come after her was going to ever be in a position to have that kind of authority. And so Charles, I think, will probably struggle to, to find exactly where, uh, where he stands in relation to, uh, to the British people. Irish Times columnist Fintan O'Toole wrote yesterday that her most impressive attribute was her sheer longevity and that, quote, as long as she could extract so much credit for her mere survival, the anachronistic institution she embodied could survive with her. 
Uh, Dennis, now that she's gone, can that anachronistic institution of the monarchy survive much longer? I think it can. I mean, if you, a monarchy is not actually that unusual. If you look around Europe, you have uh, constitutional monarchies in Denmark, Sweden, Norway, Spain, Belgium, and uh, the Grand Duchy of Luxembourg, uh, the Netherlands as well. So it's, uh, you know, there are quite a lot of modern liberal democracies that, ha- that choose this form of government. And in a way, it works quite well for countries that are divided and also for multinational states like uh, the United Kingdom because of the fact that the monarch can be a unifying figure even if everybody agree, disagrees about everything else, including whether they belong together or not. And so you see the uh, in Belgium, for example, the monarchy has throughout recent decades been a very important unifying uh, presence as those two communities, the Flemings and the Walloons, have sought sometimes to go their different ways. So I think the monarchy as an institution is probably quite safe insofar as as an institution, it's commonplace, it works for a lot of people. And the trouble with getting rid of it is that you really have to, first of all, fight the battle to get rid of it. And then always the question comes, uh, you know, what are you going to have instead? Who's going to be your president? Charles is has been much less popular than his mother and also less popular than his son, William. And so he's got a bit of a struggle. But I don't think that unless something badly goes wrong in his reign, I don't think the fact of the Queen's death will necessarily uh, threaten the future of the monarchy. It's very important to note that this has come at a bit of a dark moment in Britain with all the political controversy that's been around in recent months and now a new, totally untested prime minister taking control and the current economic problems that are there. You could say that maybe this has come at a particularly bad time when perhaps Britain didn't need any more disruption. Or could it be that the Queen's death will in some way cause people to rally around the Union Jack and inspire some national cohesion? I think probably the period of national mourning will be a kind of period of reflection on uh, what the Queen represented and perhaps that will remind people about what they have in common. But at the same time, because she has been around for, or she was around for so long, an awful lot of what people will be doing is looking backwards. And so it will be about what she did represent. Because a lot of what she represented was, in a way, a reminder of what Britain used to be. She was a link with the wartime generation. She was a link with the kind of, when everybody was mucking in together, this kind of myth of what was going on uh, and Britain's finest hour. And so I think maybe it will be confirmation that all of that world is gone. So I think it will be unsettling for Britain and for the British people. I think it will, it is a blow of bad news. Uh, it obviously, clearly, uh, she was 96, it wasn't entirely unexpected. But, uh, but nonetheless, it kind of, it will feel like bad news for people. And I'm not sure that they're going to look at their, uh, you know, at this uh, new king in his 70s and say a bright new dawn has broken. I think if it were to be, uh, say, uh, the younger generation, like William and his wife, Catherine, they might sort of say, okay, well, here's this new generation leading us into, you know, the next chapter. So I think that that's uh, one reason why there probably won't be uh, a great freshness. I think where Liz Truss is concerned, it's uh, an important and potentially 
useful moment for her in a way in terms of her establishing herself as prime minister. Because what you're going to see over the next few days is uh, the prime minister in various official positions. So in all these images will confirm her authority in the role. People will just see her over and over again visually as this person in this position. It's no longer Boris Johnson. It is Liz Truss. And also what it's done is that it's frozen the political debate and uh, and and silenced it actually at a time where she was introducing rather controversial measures and so the the whole business of sort of how who was going to pay for the energy price cap she didn't didn't want to tax the uh, energy companies to help pay for it all this kind of thing so she's you know she's got a pretty radical agenda and this is going to give her some breathing space to get her government off to a good start and so i think in that way the timing is potentially fortuitous for uh, Liz Truss. It could be, of course, that she uh, does something wrong. Her statement outside Downing Street was a reminder of how wooden she is. And a few minutes later, Boris Johnson issued a statement which was beautifully written and a reminder of the fact that he had a way with words that she doesn't. And so, uh, so you know, you so people may just, it may also expose her weaknesses. But I think... All in all, it is probably an opportunity for Liz Truss to, um, to, to establish herself as Prime Minister. Finally, Dennis, you've spent many years living in Britain around British people. What real impact do you think her death will have on the people in their day-to-day lives? I was around Piccadilly Circus at the time of the announcement, just a few minutes after the announcement. And I had to buy a cable from my laptop. At, uh, I went to a kiosk which sells tech stuff on uh, Piccadilly Circus. And the young man behind the counter uh, immediately unprompted said how sad the day was, that uh, the, the news was such sad news, that he had been watching the Queen appointing Liz Truss as Prime Minister just two days before. And as he said, it just shows how uh, impermanent life is. Those were his words. Uh, but of course, she was 96. And uh, so it also shows how long life can be. And uh, and so I think that it's a moment that people have been expecting. It is extraordinary how many people would talk to you in the past sort of couple of years and say how much they were dreading it. And, you know, as if, you know, she's really not going to die, is she? You know, it's like, it's like a grandmother who's that sort of age. And people speak about her as kind of the nation's grandmother. And so I think there will be this period of, collective mourning. But after that, I think they'll move on. I think the difference it might make to the British people is that she was this constant figure in their lives, that when everything else around them was changing, that there she was. And so at moments of grave importance for the country, she was the person that they turned to. And the clearest, most recent example of that was during the pandemic when she made a televised address, and it was in April of 2020, and everything had really just gone into deep lockdown. And she really caught the mood when she spoke about how uh, people were making sacrifices, how people were affected by the loss of loved ones. I hope in the years to come, everyone will be able to take pride in how they responded to this challenge. And those who come after us will say the Britons of this generation were as strong as any. But the attributes of self-discipline, of quiet, good-humoured resolve, and of fellow feeling 
still characterize this country. And then she uh, echoed these words of Vera Lynn in the wartime song. She said, we will meet again. We should take comfort that while we may have more still to endure, better days will return. We will be with our friends again. We will be with our families again. We will meet again. And so I think she has often been able to catch the mood. And sometimes the words she uses are not really all that uh, amazing from a literary point of view. But because of the person, because of the fact that she had been this figure that had been around since as long as anybody could remember, uh, she was able to perform a function in British public life uh, that unified people in a way that I'm not sure that her successor will be able to do. Thank you so much, Dennis, for joining us this morning. That's all for this episode. In the News will be back in your feed very soon. Today's episode was produced by Declan Conlon and Suzanne Brennan. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.